but let's take our Bibles, if you would, tonight. Turn to Matthew, chapter number 11. Matthew, chapter number 11. And if you would also turn to Proverbs, chapter 1, for a moment. Matthew, chapter 11. Proverbs, chapter 1. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we love thee, perhaps not nearly as we should, perhaps not nearly as much as we could, but oh God, I love you, and I know the people of this congregation love you, but oh Lord, I pray that our love would be greatly increased as a result of the music tonight, just bless my heart. The prayer that's gone up for the meetings today, I pray that this message here tonight will also be used of God to increase us spiritually, increase us to live for Thee in a greater way. Now again, we're thankful for the opportunity, and we ask you to fill with the Spirit of God and anoint the lips of the preacher and the ears of the hearer. Lord, we can't do a thing of any importance, of any spiritual value, without our Savior aiding us and giving us all that we need. So we call upon you, dear Lord Jesus, now to anoint this meeting afresh and powerfully so that your word will fall on good ground and bring forth fruit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in uh, Matthew, we find, as I see it, um, perhaps the grandest of all invitations. The grandest of all invitations. Now, there's lots of invitations in the Bible, all kinds of them. And lots of us have received many different types of invitations. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, the invitation is to come and reason together about our sins. In Isaiah 55, 1 to 3, everyone is invited to come and buy without money. Without money. We're come to buy that which is good for our souls and good for our spirits, good for our lives. In John 4 and 29, the woman at the well, after her speaking with the Lord Jesus, went into the city and said, come see a man, told me all things. What an invitation that was to those men of Samaria. The record shows that many, many believed on the Lord Jesus Christ because a woman gave an invitation to come see a man. We see that uh, in John 1 and 35, Andrew says, come, we have found the Messiah. Come and see. We find in Matthew, here in this passage, it's come unto me. We find in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. And then the great invitation in chapter 4, symbolically right there, it is a picture of the invitation 
to leave this world in an instant in the twinkling of an eye and go up to be with the Lord. Lots of invitations. And you and I have all, each one of us, received some kind of invitation in our past, maybe even presently. Some invitations we're glad to say yes to because they're invitations to great events or good things. In uh, Proverbs, there's an invitation which is not so good. We see in Proverbs uh, chapter 1 and verse 10, it says, My son, if sinners entice thee or invite thee, consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privily, for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. The old world inviting everyone to join together for wrong and for wicked activity. So there are invitations for good. There are invitations for that which is less than good and even more than that in evil things. Every one of us, as I said, have received an invitation. Do you remember the first invitation you got to a birthday party? I do, and I remember the one I didn't get that I wanted more but those things happen in life. <laughs> I remember invitations for other things. Uh, I've given invitations as a police officer for you or someone else to appear before a judge. Uh, now that's an invitation you don't want to pass up. If you do, you'll hear the officer coming at your door with the handcuffs jingling. And uh, I've given invitations for lots of different things, and I've been given some invitations for different things as well. I remember one of the most unique ones I think I ever received. Uh, we were in <clears throat> a hot spot there in South Vietnam, and uh, we were uh, securing a roadway, a Route 4, that went down into the Mekong Delta where the rice bowl was. And uh, we had taken over a property. And uh, as armies do, as soldiers do, we probably weren't so nice. In doing so, we just went in there and blatantly took it over. About three days later, after I told my men, I said, don't mistreat these people. Uh, we don't know anything about them, but I said, don't, do not mistreat them. Uh, my men wanted to send the fella into the city on his little uh, moped that he had, uh, to buy ice and uh, some uh, adult beverages. Let's just put it that way. And uh, they uh, were getting ready to take advantage of him. And I said, no, 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 no. You better give him some, some shekels in order to pay for the gasoline and the other things that he's doing. And uh, another three days went by. Things were going quite well. And uh, the gentleman came to me in broken English. He said, Tiwi, that meant lieutenant. He said, would you come and sit at my table and eat? Well, to be perfectly honest with you, I wasn't excited about that invitation. Um, 
But the Lord was using providence to train me. And so I said yes, and I went in, and sure enough, the dear lady of the house had found some bone china. Bone china. I don't know where she got it. I mean, this was a fairly humble situation. But she had set it all up, and she had her uh, soy sauce dip, and she had her uh, duck roast and other things that she had uh, done, and uh, he invited me to sit down. And I reckon that was a very honorable thing that he did for me there. And I did go away appreciating the fact that they had sacrificed so much. Now, I realized, too, that the motivation might have been that we continue to treat them with respect <laughs> and not mistreat them. But I also believe it was because we had done the right thing that they were wanting to uh, let me know that they appreciated that as well. Invitations. I remember when Jennifer was working back when we were first married, we got an invitation to go to see Richard Petty uh, run a race car in Saratoga Raceway in upstate New York, and we were given an invitation to the box seat. And, you know, I was thrilled with that. I, I, you know, I just couldn't believe, because I was a race car fan, and I, I could not believe I was going to get to exact, exactly what I wanted to see Richard Petty win that race. He won it and then came and he gave autographs and uh, handshakes to all who were in the box seats. It was a great night for me. I uh, appreciate that invitation that was, her boss gave us. Lots of invitations. You probably have had some exciting ones as well. You probably have received invitations to Lots of different things. But, you know, just think for a moment an invitation to say the coronation of King uh, Charles. That would be something you'd want if you were into that. Coronation. To go and participate in uh, receiving an embossed invitation. I mean, these invitations, they're embossed with gold lettering. And uh, other things, they're, they're, they're worth a fortune just to have one of those in the future. And people, you know, they go to great lengths to get one. But think about the invitation that comes here. This invitation is sent to all, and it's embossed with the blood of Christ. There's no greater price. There's no greater value. There's no greater invitation that you could ever respond to than to that invitation from Christ himself. Come. Look at the verse. In verse 28 it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek, lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your soul, or unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The first thing I want to express tonight has to do with the invitation to those who are laboring. Laboring in this world. Now what might they be laboring at? Just a workaday world? No, I don't think so. I mean, all of us, from the time that I was a lad, uh, I was sent out to work 
Many of you work from a very early age. Maybe you didn't get a chance to complete your high school because you had to go work to help the family. But whatever the case might be, getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and going to milking cows or, or whatever you had to do on the farm, there's lots of us that went to work early in life, laboring. When uh, high school came along, I labored at several different things. Some of you labored hard at several different things to build up a resume, a portfolio that you could present to someone who wanted to hire a faithful, dependable worker. And you worked hard at it. You labored at it for a purpose. Is that what he's talking about here? No, I don't think. Laboring. He says, come unto me all ye that labor. Labor. I think it has to do with maybe a twofold or threefold meaning. I think he's asking people who are out in this sin-cursed, wicked old world, which is filled with grief and sorrow and all the difficulties that one can imagine and more than that. And he's saying to those who are laboring in that sphere, listen, come to me. What are they laboring at out there? Well, there's a lot of people who are laboring with the idea that if they can do enough good, if there's enough good works that they can perform and, and, and work at and, and help their fellow man and, uh, you know, go to a, a, a desperate place somewhere, uh, you know, where it's not clean and where it's not uh, righteous and it's not good and work amongst people there to try to bring cures of all kinds, shapes, and descriptions. I think about the mercy ships and Man, I'm always struck anytime I see about uh, those little children that have deformities of every kind. And the one that always kills me and breaks my heart is that one with the little girl whose knees are backwards. And she struggles walking on legs which are bent the wrong way. And they show her going up the, the, the ship's ladder to get up there. And she's struggling to, to get herself up those stairs. And the next thing they show you after the surgeries is she's standing there with her legs straightened out as best they could. But she's got this glorious smile on her face. I'm not saying those people are not Christians. I'm not saying that those people, some of them, some of those doctors with their marvelous hands to do those kind of surgeries are not believers. But what I am saying, if they're doing what they're doing in order to get some sort of credit in heaven, they're not going to get any. Now, it's wonderful to see our fellow man go to extremes to try to help and to try to alleviate pain and suffering. It's amazing when you see a police officer dive into a burning car to try to pull somebody to safety, or you see other acts of heroism and, and uh, things to help other people, putting their lives on the line. I think of Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, who going across Scroon Lake, New York, he saw somebody drowning, a kid that was going to the camp there, and he jumps in, and he gave his life to save the kid. He died. All kinds of stories of 
people who have done heroic things in the name of trying to help humanity. We see, he says, come unto me, all ye that labor. Labor. I think also there are those people out in the world who maybe they're just an average fellow like myself, not too handy with tools, not too handy with anything much. But they are laboring to try to get some sort of reputation of being a hard worker amongst the community. They're laboring hard and they're frustrated or perhaps their hands and their knuckles are, are bruised and scabbed just so that they can uh, walk down the street and have somebody look at them and say, that's a real worker. He and those like him deserve heaven's blessings. I think work is one of the more admirable things that mankind can do, don't you? To be faithful, to work hard, give your due diligence, be such an influence on the younger people as they look at you and they say, he's a worker. he, He seems to be happy, but if he's doing it just for human recognition, just for perhaps a hope that enough people will say good things about him that God would wink and let him into heaven. And there are those who do that. Somebody who labors very hard to make a lot of money. They, they, they work hard, they spend hours and hours and hours to make a lot of money so that they can be charitable, so that they can be philanthropic. So that they can go out and look at some uh, poor village without a well or whatever and they can give sufficient funds to have a drill come in there and drill a well and give the people water and they say, there God, I've done a lot for you. There are people like that. I must say, even before I came to know Christ as my Savior, I was on the police force and I, I, I did get satisfaction out of helping people that were in trouble. I also got a lot of satisfaction in arresting some, too. <laughs> it's part of my personality. But I have to be honest, it was a, it was a good thing. But I, I remember thinking, well, that, I put that one in the slammer, and I helped that one up the road, and I did this, but I'm still empty. I'm still empty. <clears throat> I had an opportunity this week to uh, do what I call tomato evangelism. Now, don't anybody take offense at this, but I grow a few tomatoes and we had some extra. So I took some across the street. And uh, I uh, knocked on the door and I said, hi, how are you? Next door neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, can you use a couple of these beauties? And that guy's eyes lit up like, you know, I mean, just like beacons. He said, man, did you grow those? I said, yeah, with the Lord's help. (laughs) And uh, he said, oh, we'd love them. His wife was there as well. So 
they invited me in. Uh, they didn't share the tomatoes with me, but they let me share my testimony with them. And uh, also to witness to them and to encourage them about the Lord. Um, I'm thankful that God works in us so that we can do something for him, aren't you? Now, I'm not serving what I just said with tomatoes to get into heaven. I'm doing that because I'm already saved. Come unto me and I will give you rest, all ye that labor. Now, there's this kind of labor trying to get salvation. And we would say that's religion, isn't it? That's what religion's all about. Man has concocted and invented and, and come up with all kinds of crazy do's and don'ts in order to um, get yourself some uh, credit or righteousness or offset the scales or whatever you want to compare it to. But mankind is working around the clock, around the world, in villages on the dark side of the world, in high towers in New York cities and other places where there's all kinds of advantages and, and, and then there's those that have little or nothing. But the same idea is we've got to get something to worship here in order that we can get uh, right with God because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. I mean, there's missionary stories of galore about men who have gone into some very dark places in the world and found people with their carvings, with their idols, just in blindness, trying to appease a God. And you go back in history, you go to the Incas, you go uh, to the Egyptians, you go back as far as you want to go back, and you'll find a record of people who, by their drawings on the cave walls, whether it be aboriginals in Australia or whether it be uh, the tombs of Egyptians or whether it be down in the uh, tombs of the Inca Indians, and you'll find that they were willing as much to sacrifice their own little babies in order to get some sort of wholesome credit with God. It's in man. It's just there. And people want to worship something so that they can feel some sort of peace or comfort or rest or whatever they can find in order to solace their conscience, in order to give themselves a leg up, as it were, with God. I call that religion, whether it be fancy religion with all the trappings or whether it be just a simple idol hanging on the wall in a hut, a dirt floor. And as I've seen in New Guinea and other places, people kneeling down, cutting themselves, whatever, trying to get gain with God. This is a supernatural, all-encompassing, universal invitation to eternal life through faith in him, trust in his work and power. But he says it, first of all, to all who labor. I want to move on. 
He says, all, not uh, all there, but he said, ye that labor and are heavy laden. It's not hard to find people who are laden with sin today, is it? You go down to some of these homeless camps. Just walk along the streets of major cities. If you could get somebody in their right mind to interview and ask them, what, what, what has caused this? How, how did you end up here? How, how, what, did, what did life give you that caused you to end up in such a, just a filthy, sloven state that you're in? But it's very difficult to get somebody in their right mind to answer that question. Their, their brains are burnt out. I remember seeing one young man sitting in the park in Sydney, Australia. I went over to, worship, uh, to talk to him, and he had uh, a string. With a, it was attached to his little finger by another ring and to his fly. And I asked him, I said, what's that for? He said, I, I have no control to be able to go to the bathroom with, unless I can uh, you know, have this string to undo my fly. I said, how did you get here? He said, I started smelling gasoline vapors at a very young age. Gasoline. People would go to that length to get some sort of some sort of bizarre feeling. Why? Because they're laden with sin and sin of unbelief. That's where it's at. I mean, there's all kinds of sins I could stop and talk about tonight. And, and, and you know as well as I know that I'd miss some and, and, and I, I probably wouldn't get them all. But the one sin that really ladens the heart is a sin of unbelief. Never having come to the place of recognizing God when the Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And people have avoided that simple, wonderful, godly truth and smell gasoline fumes to where their nerves are shot, their feeling is gone. Sad, isn't it? It's the world we live in. Heavy laden. People's lives have been broken, busted, crushed. Stomped all over by the devil and the worldly crowd that just likes to ridicule and make fun of some human that has fallen or what's going on on the streets today. They, they, they want to put them down with a gun so that they can go over and kick the stuffings out of them. Our world is filled with hatred and animosity and sin galore. And there's a host of people who have been ensnared in it. Myself, I, I find, find, it, find it hard sometimes to, uh, to feel for these people. And yet Christ 
Died for every one of them. Everyone. He said, all ye that are laboring to try to get some credit with heaven or all ye that are heavy laden and can't so much as look into the face of God, but all you can do is just walk in life with a broken down, terrible mind. And when we think about the things that Satan leads people to do. And they do it. Let me say this. Number one, he says, come. Now, that's not a terribly difficult word to understand. Just come. Every word of God is pure, isn't it? Inspired. Every word of God can be cleansing, converting, powerful. The word can invigorate us. The word can inspire us. The word can ignite action in our lives. The word can cause us to be cautious. The word can give us warning. The word can instruct and comfort and restore one soul, body, and spirit. That's what the word of God can do. Every word of God is pure. Jesus said himself in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word proceedeth from the mouth of God. Words have definition, don't they? Yeah, they do. You can get a Webster's whatever dictionary you want and find out some definitions of words and educate yourself as to some vocabulary. But words have shades of meaning as well. How about this? Come, little one. Come to daddy. Now, that's a loving come, isn't it? It's come. Or perhaps it's come here. It's a little bit different. Or come. Or if you don't come, I'm going to beat you to an inch of your life. It's a little bit different in how we say things. But the invitation is to come. When we look at the invitations that God gives, uh, they're soft, they're tender, they're not harsh, not extremely loud either, are they? Sometimes they're just whispers. He demurely, demurely, speaks while we rest our head upon a restless pillow. He calls as he did Samuel. They're not demanding, they're just promising. They're not doubtful, but they're moving and stirring the words of God and his invitations. God knows just how to say it. Just the right way. You know, he's spoken to me. I know he has. Many times. Sometimes it was just a soft, tender whisper. Other times it was, come now, Glenn, or else. But God cares, and he speaks to us that way. Come unto me, I'll give you rest. Why can Jesus say that? Because 
he rested on the day creation was finished. He rested. He is rest. He is salvation. He's all of those things. But he knew from the beginning of man's history what rest was all about, that man would need it physically, but also eventually spiritually when Adam sinned and brought down the eternal condemnation upon mankind. Now, when you think about who it is here, it's Jesus who's saying, come unto me. I'll give you rest. All ye that labor and heavy laden, just come. For I am rest. I am strength. All of those things, and we don't have a lot more time, but uh, come to me. I can give you salvation, forgiveness, and purpose. That's a wonderful rest, isn't it? To know whom you have believed. To be persuaded that he's able to keep you against that day. Rest, not in a turmoil about these things, not, 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 not in a, a storm-tossed ship on a sea of unbelief and all of these things. No, he says, just come and come into my presence, come into me. You know, the expression in Christ appears 130 times in the New Testament. In Christ. Come, I'll give you rest. He says, come to me. That's Jesus. Not some church or not some phony baloney religious system. He says, you want rest? You're going to have to come to me. And we've been listening to the I am's of the Lord Jesus. I am the door. I am the truth and the way and life. I am. Come to Christ. He says, if you will. You come to my person, you'll receive the gift of eternal life because I've secured it with my own blood. My own blood. Nobody else's. Nobody else's effort. Nobody else's uh, plan. It's been my plan from the eternity past to redeem you by the blood. Come, for I rose from the dead. I have victory over death, hell, Satan, all of it. I have victory. I've secured the victory. You come to me. I can give it to you. Amen. Give it to you. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus paid it all. Paid the debt. I've oftentimes thought what I could have conjured up in order to present to God to give me some rest and peace of mind and, and things about the future. I, you know, I'm not going to go into it, but I've heard the cries of men who are on the battlefield who have no idea of any kind of peace whatsoever. And the horror that overcomes them, so much so that even some would shoot themselves in the foot just to get off the battlefield. Or even the more extreme things. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Jesus paid the debt. Jesus removes the guilt and shame. Uh, I'm sure some of us could say, 
with Paul the Apostle, I'm the chief of sinners. I have guilt about things that were done and shame. Jesus can take it away and give you peace and joy. He says, take, you come to me and I'll give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, I can give it to you because I am the joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It goes on. But just for a couple of minutes more. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm an old farm boy. And uh, we had some tractors on the farm, but... We also had some horses, some work horses around. And uh, I don't know if I've shared it here before. My, my, my mind is rapidly diminishing and my memory is shot. But uh, Buddy Ketchum was a friend of mine. His father had a team of work horses, big bruisers, Belgians they were. And uh, I used to beg Buddy to ask his father if I could go to the woods with him on Saturday. And if it had my chores done, my folks would say, yeah, go ahead, but just be careful. Go up into the woods and cut some logs and then hook those horses up there. And Buddy was my age. He was just a lad at the time. And he'd drive those horses and both of us would try to walk the logs as we're pulling those logs down to the loading center. I think that's why I have very bad ankles to this day. Crushed them a couple of times, rolled them under a log. And uh, we, uh, we got to the place where we were pretty good at it. We weren't log rolling champions, but we could certainly stay on them, straddle them, whatever. But, uh, you know, those horses had to be in a harness. And uh, they, were, they were mighty. I also remember uh, going into the Pennsylvania Amish country. Uh, When I was preaching in Pennsylvania many, many years ago, we went out, looked around the Amish farms, beautiful places, and uh, they had horsepower, real horsepower. And I looked and I said, that's the strangest thing I've ever seen. And a pastor that had me out there, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, there's a horse hooked up to this particular team of horses that is not pulling at all. It's just like a a third rail. And I said, I wonder why that is. Oh, that's simple. He said, they're training that horse to hear the commands as he's strapped to the horse next to him. That's an older horse, and that, that horse is teaching him how to turn and what to do, when to stop. Then I remember seeing a yoke of oxen up in Nova Scotia. Uh, these were brutes as well. Yes, absolutely a big oxen. And he had a, a wooden yoke, a huge thing. It was about that wide and uh, just made out of heavy timber. And that's what the, the pull was hooked to when they drew logs or drew sleds or rock sleds or whatever they drew with them. It had to be super strong because they are super strong. 
And then one day I was out there uh, calling on this fellow, trying to get him to come to church. And he said, have you ever seen a third yoke? And I said, no, I don't think so. He said, this is how I train my oxen. And he had a third yoke to go over the young oxen. That young oxen never pulled a thing. All it was there for was to learn, walk along, hear the commands, do the right thing, and then go back to the barn that night and get his tucker, his food. Third oxen, third yoke. Jesus said here, take. Here's an invitation. Take my yoke. Do you realize Christ is in a yoke for you and I? He's pulling the whole load. Why, it's his strength that is carrying us along. And he said, look, there's an invitation to serve with me. You can take my yoke upon you. And you can serve right alongside me in your new life of being born again. What a joy that would be. What a, what a, what a sense of awe. To know that the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Almighty God, is in a yoke which will incorporate you and I so that we can learn of our Savior and experience the strength and the power and the glory of what Jesus is doing in this world right now and the world to come which awaits with rewards and all kinds of things. We can serve with Jesus. If you're in the yoke with Jesus, you got his guidance. You can't get away from him. He harnesses you with that yoke. And when he turns this way, you don't go that way. You go right with the Lord Jesus. There's not a safer place in this world than to be in the yoke with Christ going his way all the time. All the time. But then, finally, you and I can be in the yoke of service and experience this great power, supernatural power. Oh, it's one thing to take the electric cord and plug it into the wall and have power for hand tools or whatever. And man, I'm thankful for that many times. But to be in the yoke with the Lord Jesus because you want to be there, you can call on him for the power to perform, to stand in the battle, to stand against the wiles of the wicked one. You and I really can't do anything. We're but worms. That's all. But with Christ, I can do all things through him. With a yoke upon me, I can do all things. He can take care of those needs. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength 
when the labors increase to added affliction yet his mercy to multiplied trials his multiplied peace his love has no limit his grace has no measure and his power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. When we have exhausted our store of endurance. When our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, why our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. And his power has no boundary known unto men. For of his infinite riches in Jesus. Why he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Would you pray with me? Father, we love thee. We're grateful for the opportunity tonight to be here. Thank you, Lord, for watching over those who have traveled from different places, even the visitors that are here tonight. Lord, we're most grateful for the joy of being able to lift up this Bible and say, here is the word of God. Here is the person of Jesus Christ. Here is the one who softly and tenderly calls. The one who has opened his arms on a cross to give an all-inclusive universal invitation to salvation. The one who with open arms on the cross saying, come unto me. I'm the one who can take care of every need that you'll ever have. Father, tonight I pray that if there be those who would like to trust this wonderful Christ, that they'd leave their place and come to one of these pastors here. There be those who are struggling as believers. What's next? What am I going to do about this or that? Or help them to come and get in the yoke purposefully. Saying, Lord, I just want to be by your side as close as I can get. 
I want to draw nigh unto God that he might draw nigh unto me. So Lord, as we sing softly and tenderly tonight, I pray people will respond. I pray that they'll do what you would have them to. Might not just be a flippant decision, but it would be something which would be lifelong, lasting. So we pray you'll have your way now. In Jesus' name, 